you could please open your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find the reading there at page 899. And with that, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is our desire in obedience to this passage of Holy Scripture that has just been read to follow the Lord Jesus everywhere He bids, even down the Calgary Road. Help us to serve Him joyfully, willingly, wholeheartedly, because Your Word promises, right here in verse 26, if anyone serves Christ, the Father will honor Him. And so, we desire for You to honor us. Help us to follow our Lord Jesus. We ask in His name. Amen. I knew that I was one week early as I preached on the triumphal entry uh, last week, since today is Palm Sunday. But the conversation that Jesus had between His disciples and uh, Himself that comprises our sermon text um, took place on the same day as the triumphal entry. So this, I believe, qualifies as a Pentecost or a Palm Sunday sermon, if that is important to you. You will remember that Jesus was riding toward Jerusalem on a donkey, and the frenzied crowds were waving the palm branches while laying them at the feet of the of the uh, donkey as it was approaching Jerusalem. And as Jesus 
was uh, making his way toward Jerusalem, a band of Greeks approached one of the twelve disciples, uh, one of the twelve named Philip, and they made a request that has since become famous. They said, Sirs, we wish to see Jesus. In a lot of Scottish Presbyterian pulpits, you would never see it, but uh, typically there's a, uh, a little brass plate uh, that uh, is mounted in the pulpit for the pastor. Sirs, we would see Jesus. This uh, brass plate is continually reminding that this is the, the job of the preacher, to proclaim the Lord Jesus. There is a, uh, the church that my wife and I got married in, I got to uh, preach from that 10-foot-high solid mahogany pulpit once because uh, I was doing an internship there and there's steps that walk up into the pulpit and right above the steps, big letters, Sirs, we would see Jesus. Oh, may we see Him this morning as He is proclaimed in the Gospel. Well, these Greeks made this request to Philip, and it appears to me that Philip was a little confused as to whether he should grant their request. So he went and told Andrew, another one of the, the disciples. And then apparently they agreed that uh, Jesus should know about this request from the Greeks. So then they, went, they both went and told uh, Jesus that they had come uh, requesting to see him. We have no idea whether Jesus spoke to these Greeks, much less what he might have said to them. Of course, I do believe that he did meet with them, um, but it's not recorded in the Scripture. We only know Jesus' reaction to their request. Look at verse 23. And Jesus answered them upon hearing this request. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You know, all through the Gospels, we're accustomed to Jesus saying, My hour has not yet come. But here, these Greeks, these band of Greeks come, they want to see Jesus. And all of a sudden, He breaks from His normal, My hour has not yet come, to now saying, um, my hour, uh, or the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. These Greeks come to see Jesus and as if the, then a clock begins striking the hour. Jesus says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is an interesting reaction to me. He's riding on the donkey. The crowds are streaming out of Jerusalem. They're streaming out of the local towns. Jews from all over uh, Judea, Jews from all over the world that have gathered to uh, celebrate the Passover feast. And they're all crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And you see no real um, reaction from Jesus that's out of the ordinary. He's just riding on the donkey. But then this small band of Greeks come and request to see him. And he has this unusual um, 
response. It's, it's, it's as if um, this is a pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus. The hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Why would He say this? Well, I mentioned it last week. These Greeks represent the vast multitudes of Gentiles for whom Jesus was going to die. And so, Jesus is saying here, He is the King of the Jews, but He's also the King of the Gentiles. Jesus, the glorious, Jesus is the glorious King and Savior of the whole world. People from every tribe, language, nation are going to be redeemed by His blood. So He says the hour has come for Him to be glorified. And His death for sinners and uh, His resurrection from the dead will certainly uh, result in His glorification. But I think Jesus is speaking beyond just His death that will take place later in the week and then His resurrection that will take place on the first day of, of uh, the following week. I think He's speaking beyond that. I agree with Calvin that Jesus is looking beyond His redemptive acts and of, of death and resurrection. He's looking to the future proclamation of the Gospel. He is eager for His, his salvation to, as it says in verse 24, at the end of verse 24, to bear much fruit. That's what He's looking for. He is looking for this salvation that He has purchased to bear much fruit. When you share the Gospel of Jesus Christ with someone, Jesus is essentially saying, you're glorifying Him. You're an instrument of His glory. You are magnifying His grace to others who have not yet uh, themselves tasted that Jesus is good. We see in verse 23, Jesus' excitement for the work that He has given the church to do. And because He died, we will be fruitful in our proclamation of Christ. For centuries, Christ has been opposed. But yet, He still continues bearing fruit. Christianity is waning in the United States, but not in Asia or Africa. Christ cannot be denied. He died. And now He is bearing fruit all over the world. There was a great expectation uh, amongst the crowd who were waving the palm branches that, that Jesus was going into Jerusalem to rally the people and He would uh, rally the people to march out to war against the Roman armies, that He would lead uh, the, the Jews in defeating the Roman armies, and then that Jesus would be physically crowned as King of the Jews. And His disciples, well, you know, the disciples are typically struggle to understand the message of the Gospel. And so Jesus, um, lest His disciples get caught up in all the, the hoopla that attending His triumphal entry, uh, He reminded them in verse 24 that what was going to happen to Him when He came into Jerusalem. 
and we all know what happened to him uh, before that week ended. On that Friday, he was put on that awful cross. And so he is he's going to remind his disciples that he's coming into Jerusalem to die. He had told his disciples many times that he was coming to Jerusalem to die. But they had not fully understood him. So look what he says in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In other words, he's not coming in to, to Jerusalem to be crowned king of the Jews. He's not coming into Jerusalem to lead an army of Jews against the Romans. He's not coming into to, uh, Jerusalem to uh, set uh, the Jewish people free from their captivity to Rome. He's coming in to Jerusalem to die in order that He might set His people free from their sins. If you were to take a single kernel of wheat and bury it in the ground, and if it's a good seed, then this seed dies and it sheds its outer casing. But then as it does that, it begins to grow. And as it grows... It bears much fruit. It bears many other, many more kernels of, um, of, of wheat, all from a single kernel that was buried in the ground and died. And so Jesus is saying that His death will produce life in others. If you are a Christian, it is because Christ died and He reproduced His life in you. As his life is reproduced in others, then his followers multiply and his glory is magnified and his kingdom grows. And so Christ is saying that he achieves his glory through the cross. Christ's life being represented or reproduced through others comes through the cross. And I mention that because there's a lot of gospel preaching that de-emphasizes the cross. When you hear a gospel on the radio or on television or wherever you might hear it, and it does not emphasize the cross, does not tell you that Christ had to die for your sins, then it's not the authentic gospel. There's a lot of preachers and a lot of preaching out there that wants to say... Um, that wants to build you up without telling you about Christ. That wants to build you, build up your self-esteem without telling you about the cross. A lot of Christian preaching has subtly turned the gospel into a self-help remedy and turned Jesus into a self-help guru. But Jesus came to earth to be a kernel that was buried in the ground. He came as a kernel that would die in order that His life might be reproduced in us. And the true Gospel not only talks about Jesus' death, it also talks about your own death. Look at verses 25 and 26. 
Jesus continues as he's talking about um, his his death and and how his death bears much fruit. So whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Jesus is talking here, telling His disciples that they will indeed follow Him, but the, the destination is death. Whoever loves His life will lose it. But whoever hates His life in this world will keep it for eternal life. History tells us that all of his disciples, except for John and, of course, um, Judas Iscariot, Iscariot, that that they were all murdered for their testimony uh, to Christ. And so they all followed the Lord Jesus. History tells us that there were many attempts on John's life before they exiled him. But Jesus did not limit his remarks about dying only to his twelve disciples. It applies to all of us. If we do not die, we cannot have Christ's life. Remember Matthew 10, 37-39? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In Luke's account, he says, if you do not take up your cross daily, you're not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life, Jesus says, for my sake, will find it. What does he mean when he says in verse 25, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life? What does he mean in Matthew 10 about taking up our cross? What does he mean by our losing our life to gain life? What does He mean by our dying in order that we might live? What He's saying here, we're dead spiritually um, before we come to Christ. We are enslaved to our sins. We're unable, the Bible tells us, to follow Christ because we're only able to follow ourselves. We cannot follow Christ until we die to ourselves. The good news is the death that we die is not something that we do. We simply go to the cross where Christ died. We trust in Him and He gives us His death. He works in us so that our old heart of stone is taken away and we're given a heart of flesh, a new heart. Our old self is crucified with Christ and we're a new creation in Him. He works His death in us that then results in His life being produced in us. If you're you're holding on to this life, if you're holding on to your life, if you're holding on to this world or particular things in the world and you won't let them go, it means that you haven't yet died. 
It means that Christ is not your all in all. It means that He's not your King. It means that you're still living for this world. Ask yourselves, what is important to me? Is Christ all important to me? Is Christ my King and my Lord? And, by the way, this is not a one-time death. There is, this is a one-time death that Christ produces in us and He produces a one-time life. But there is a continual dying to ourselves. It is a daily death. Christians are called to, call, to take up their cross daily. You know, we all uh, know about the, the uh, happenstance in many Christians' lives where after they've been walking with Christ for a period of time, their spiritual vitality begins to wane. I think it means that many Christians have lost sight of how important it is to die daily. How important it is to take up your cross and follow Christ daily. Dying to self and taking up our cross these concepts have been Americanized, or as John Piper says, they've been domesticated. So that uh, we, we now think burying our cross means giving up our golf on Sunday morning to come to church. Or it means not retaliating against a rude boss. Or it means obeying the traffic laws. Oh, that is a cross to bear. Biblically, it means that you renounce all that is dear to you in this life and that you joyfully give it up for Christ. John Piper, in trying to explain what it means to die daily or take up our cross daily, he likens it to picking up your electric chair and carrying it to the place or carrying it to the execution room. Or picking up a sword and carrying it to the place of your beheading. Or taking up a rope and carrying it to the gallows. In other words, dying to yourself. Dying to this world. Taking up your cross. This is hard. But it's accomplished by Jesus Christ and His grace. He does it in us. And also, He gives us great benefits. Look at verse 24. He, remember in verses 25 and 26, He says, We follow Him. We are called to die because He died. And so we die, verse 24, but also we bear much fruit. John chapter 10. I'm sorry, John chapter 15. We hate our lives in this world, verse 25. But look again at verse 25. Whoever hates his life in this world, here's the benefit, will keep it for eternal life. We're to follow Christ on the Calvary Road. Again, verse 25. Um, 
We're to go where He goes. But look what it says. Again, verse 25. I'm sorry, verse 26. Uh, Follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. Where is Christ? He's in glory. Where will we be? In glory. You follow Christ down the Calvary road. You take up your cross daily and follow Him. Eternal glory is your portion. Your sure and certain portion. Verse 26, If anyone serves Me, Oh, and that's such a negative uh, term today in our, our culture. We're not to serve, we're to lead. We're not to serve, we're to, to take care of ourselves first. But He says, anyone who serves Me, look at the fringe benefit. If anyone serves Me, at the end of verse 26, the Father will honor Him. Isn't that good news? Um, there was a missionary uh, named Chet Bitterman. And uh, he was working with Wycliffe Bible Translators down in Columbia. Um, in 1981, he was uh, captured by some guerrillas. And they murdered him. He was martyred for the cause of Christ. Um, they, they, they found his body laying where they had shot him. Here's a man left behind um, a wife and two little daughters. And Christ allowed him to be martyred for his faith. Even though the man has given his life to serve and follow Christ so that others might hear the gracious Word of God. Where's the reward in that? Well, you know what happened? Um, Applications for overseas um, Wycliffe Bible translators doubled in the year after that. In other words, he died and he bore much fruit. George Mueller was a, uh, a great um, uh, example of, of what it meant to be a man who lived by faith. You've heard, many of you have heard of him. He had a wide influence for God with his orphanage. Someone asked him, what has been the secret of your life? And Mueller hung his head and he said, um, the secret... Um, of my life was the day that I died. And he bent lower and he said, I died to George Mueller. I died to his, meaning George Mueller's opinions. I died to his preferences. I died to his taste. I died to his will. I died to the world. To the world's approval. To the world's censure. I died to the approval or blame even of Christian brothers and friends. Do you want to die yourself in order that you will live with Jesus? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You 
that You died for us. And now that means for us a faithful life of service in following You. Lord, we live in a very comfortable nation, in a very comfortable culture. God, I ask that You help us to take up our cross, to follow Jesus everywhere He leads, knowing that His grace and His sovereign providence is always best for us and sufficient for us. We ask in His name. Amen.